Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Robcast. This is episode 221, and it's called Jesus H. Christ, part 11, and now the H. <laughs> the subtitle of this run of episodes has been Jesus H. Christ, the man, the mystery, the middle initial. And now uh, we're going to talk about the middle initial, because when I was a kid, People, when they would swear, sometimes people would say Jesus Christ as a swear word, which I always thought was funny and weird. Like, why, of all characters within history, would Jesus Christ be the name that people would say when they were angry or agitated or frustrated? But then every once in a while, you hear somebody say, Jesus H. Christ. And I thought that was even like a weirder. It was like a, a twist on the weirdness. And then a couple of years ago, I don't know, out of nowhere, a friend and I were talking I was like, what does the H stand for in Jesus H. Christ? And we were both like, I don't know. And you know the wonder killing that we do nowadays. You don't have to not know because somebody has Google in their pocket. So a quick, a quick consultation with the Googler, and we were like, wow, it doesn't seem like anybody knows what the H stands for. And I had all of this uh, content about uh, Jesus Christ that I, that I had was sort of sitting on. I thought, oh my word, that's it. There we go. That's a series right there. That's a book, that's a something. Turns out that's a run of Robcast episodes. I should just call it Jesus H. Christ, and then I should have the very end of it be telling people what the H means, which is such a ridiculous premise. Are you with me on this? And the reason why I say that is the people that I have run into the past couple months, I guess I started this in September, and now it's now December, who've been like, dude, really looking forward to hearing what the H stands for. <laughs> As if, like, I have some secret knowledge or something. That's really funny. But like you went with it, you good Robcast people. Like you're in on the joke that I cooked up a whole thing. And uh, so here we are at the last one. What does the H stand for? Before, though, we get to the H, uh, we just released, I did a tour for this past year, just finished a tour called the Holy Shift Tour. And if you want to hear it, uh, if you want to listen to it, we recorded one of the uh, cities live and you can download the Holy Shift audio and hear uh, the tour, you know, on your uh, whatever it is you listen to things on. So all that's that's at robbell.com. You can hear the Holy Shift. Um, also, I'm doing my annual Largo Christmas show, December 19th. And um, I'm doing a whole new thing on Mother Mary and the Christmas story based on the history of why was Mary called Mary? Why did first century Jewish girls, um, why would they have named a girl Mary? And where does that come from? And what is that tradition? And what does that tradition have to say about the first century political climate of uh, the Jesus story and the birth of Jesus? And that's going to relate to a painting that... Uh, I'm going to show about that somebody gave me a number of years ago about Mary, and then we're going to connect that with the Hasmoneans and how they were related to Herod and what that says about the Christmas story. Because the Christmas story, I'm sure you realize this, is like the ultimate rage against the machine. It's a, a revolutionary story about what it looks like to order a new world. Um, so I'll be doing a new one of, uh, one of my... I don't know what they are, Christmas sermon talk shows. Oh, and the band Joseph, who we all love. They'll um, be joining me and doing 
and doing the thing they do, singing. It's just a stunning if you have never heard them live. So all that's happening at Largo. Tickets are at Largo-LA.com. And then, oh my word, this is going to be really, really fun. Uh, tickets are now on sale for next year's tour. Because that's my job, and I love going to work. So uh, next year's tour is called An Introduction to Joy, and it's launching in Florida in the, uh, I believe it's January 18th, and the first few cities are now up. And as you know, we'll be adding cities as the year progresses. And this one, I've been working on this tour for a while, and I've tried out some of the bits of it at Largo, at my Largo shows, and I was like, oh yeah, this is a tour. So, introduction to joy, and and actually, for the first part of next year, 2019, I'm going to cities that I didn't go to on the Holy Shift tour. So, uh, that's what we're doing. How fun is that? I may be coming your way. So, Florida, I see you. Oklahoma City and Tulsa, I see you. Kansas City, I see you. And uh, I think it's Omaha. Yeah, yeah, it's about to happen. Well, in a couple months. So all that, yep, a mm-hmm. few things going on. But right now, uh, what we have going on is the H in Jesus H. Christ. The H, uh, for me, it stands for human. Because it's good to be human. Think about all the days of your life all that you've been through, all that you've experienced, what has happened to you, your regrets, your wounds, your pains, the time you spoke and wish you hadn't, the time you didn't speak up and wish you had, the decisions you can't get back, the ones you've loved who are now gone, the longings, the aches, the things you wanted to happen that didn't, the things that did happen that you didn't want to, the questions you have that don't seem to be any closer to being answered, all of it, all the times it didn't seem worth it, all the times it felt like you were wasting your time, all those times you felt unworthy, unnoticed, unloved, and all that takes place within what you and I know to be a lifetime. There's all that isn't good. There's all the struggle and evil and injustice and heartache. All of it takes place within the larger goodness of being human. And it's good to be human. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he's, he's in agony, and he's praying. His prayer is, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. So when he says cup, cup is, is him referring to his coming suffering and death, because he knows where this is headed. He's confronting the powers that be. And he knows what happens to people who threaten the entrenched systems of injustice Uh, that we often find ourselves interacting with. The system crushes and executes the revolutionaries. He knows this. He knows what's coming his way. And then he prays, yet not my will, but yours be done. There's something larger in play here, some larger good at work, even in this. This doesn't in any way negate the anguish and agony. This isn't in no way a denial or avoidance. It's simply the acknowledgement of some greater reality that undergirds all of it. You know this, those moments when you know the next right thing to do and you know that it's going to cost something. 
you know it may not be understood and affirmed by everyone around you, and yet it's the path. There's the struggle of not knowing your path when it isn't clear, but then sometimes there's the anguish of knowing it, knowing what the next right thing is and what it requires. And there's one way, and it's only forward, and so you go. H stands for human, because it's good to be human. It's moments later, uh, Jesus is betrayed um, by one of his closest companions, Judas. And he says, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? It's like he says, are you, seriously, are you really doing this? I thought we had something. You know, all those times when you trust somebody and then they break your heart, and because they've broken your heart, something within you shuts down. Why open yourself up to another if that's what they're going to do? There's a risk at the heart of being a human, that you'll love and be betrayed, that you'll trust and have that trust broken, that you'll give yourself away only to be rejected. It's all of this, and yet it's good to be human. A number of times in the Jesus stories, uh, throughout the Gospels, people refer to Jesus as the Son of God. Now, Son of God was a loaded political word. The Son of God, the Caesars were considered sons of God because they ruled the empire, and they were considered to have, you might say, a, a special, unique relationship with the gods. So people had a very particular idea in mind when they used that phrase, referred to somebody as a son of God. But the term that Jesus prefers for himself is son of man. The, the, uh, the phrase occurs 81 times in the Gospels. Oftentimes, Son of God is a litmus test question that religious people use. They want to know where you stand. So they say, uh, they want to know if you believe the right things about Jesus. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Um, it's like, it's like almost uh, puts you on your heels. Like, uh, are, are you in? Do you have the right thinking about Jesus? Do you believe he's the Son of God? And that's great. But I respond with, well, do you believe he's the Son of Man? Because that's the term he uses the most often. And here's why that's interesting. There's a bit of history to this phrase, son of man. Uh, it's a reference to the book of Daniel. Um, it's rooted in Jesus's tribe and their understanding of who they were in relation to all the other tribes of their world. But the phrase could be translated son of man. It could be translated the human one. Yeah, what is, the term that Jesus seems to prefer for himself is the, the human one. It's interesting, isn't it? That that's the phrase he seems to use the most often. It, it, it says something about what he believes he's up to. There's something deeply, fundamentally good about your humanity. There is some deepest truth, that which is deepest true about what it means to be human, that it's good before anything else. Now, for many people, the Jesus story has often been defined by what is called atonement. You could say making peace. So the story is told beginning with a problem, and the problem essentially is people, that people have made a mess of things, which none of us are going to disagree with. But oftentimes the Jesus story is told through the lens of atonement, which means God sent Jesus to fix this mess, to make peace with God. Now, this is a massive oversimplification, but for many people, the Jesus story has been framed, has been boiled down in its raw essence to whether or not you believe that Jesus did or did not accomplish something, atoned for something, namely human capacity, human sin and wrongdoing and evil. 
Did he, in fact, fix the problem? And if you believe this properly, and that depends on who you talk to, because different people have different explanations, then you're in, you're covered, you're good, you're saved, etc. And then, of course, when you die, you'll be okay. Once again, this is a cartoon summary. But I imagine some of you are smiling going, no, no, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> so for many people, the fundamental lens through which the Jesus story has been told is Jesus came to fix a problem and it is up to you to believe, affirm, confess, agree with the mechanics of that particular act, and then things get sort of fixed between you and God. And once again, a very cartoonish summary. But what I've been doing in this Jesus H. Christ experience we've been having, and actually, to be honest with you, all of my work at some level is uh, woven into it has been, uh, I start from a different place, uh, as opposed to atonement, which is fine, but, but the starting point is incarnation. Uh, now, the word incarnation, uh, don't be scared off by big long words, uh, carne, carnivore, carne asada, carnate, uh, carne means flesh, so incarnation, the in the fleshness, uh, this is another place to start, and I would argue this is the proper starting place. For the Christ. If you've sensed that there was something else in play here uh, with what I've been doing with this, these, this run of Jesus H. Christ episodes, uh, is I've been, I've been working to give you a, a primary lens through which to understand Jesus, namely incarnation, because before anything else, the Jesus H. Christ story is about incarnation, the divine and the human in the same place, in the same body. Jesus H. Christ comes in his full humanity, the human one, to lead us into our full humanity. And you know what that is? That's divine. <laughs> you with me on this? Okay, a couple thoughts. First, at the heart of the Jesus story is the affirmation of the material. Now, we, we won't get into matter and spirit and the sort of dissolving boundary between the two, but First and foremost, the Jesus story, the divine taking on flesh and blood, is the ultimate affirmation of what you and I know to be the material dimension of life. Bodies and blood and food and wombs and arms and legs and love and food and wine and sex and music and all that you and I know to be good about life. For many people, you talk spirit or spirituality or even religion, and it's about escape. It's about some other place. It's about sort of ephemeral, atmospheric, conceptual ideas, but the Jesus H. Christ story is a resounding affirmation of the materiality of life. And in this story, God is not distant or detached or indifferent, but comes among us as one of us. The poetry alone of the story is astonishing. Let's explore that for a bit. There is an upside-down nature of this Jesus H. Christ story, because in the ancient world, the gods are winners, and when you win, you would tell how you did it with the gods' power and help. The gods are fire, dominance, conquest, power, the temples to gods. Gods live in temples on high, on top of mountains, with massive structures to designed to instill awe and reverence and dependence. 
And when one nation would destroy another and take all the survivors and spoils for themselves, they would do it in the name of their gods and goddesses. So that's how it works with the divine in the ancient world. But in this story, the claim is not that the divine is distant and detached, but that the divine comes among us, that God moves into the neighborhood, that the divine takes on flesh and blood, not distant and detached and a victorious conqueror, but skin and bones and heart and soul. Yeah. And then this Christ, he weeps, he gets angry, he's betrayed, he has his heart broken, he has struggles with his family, he's hunted and then executed like a criminal. The gods didn't do this sort of thing. And in the end, he's considered an enemy of the state. Wait, what god is crucified? That, that simply weren't categories for this sort of thing. See, this story was about the divine who isn't just found on high in the big temples, in the grand institutions, in the victory, but this God is found in the defeat, in the loss, in the pain, in the suffering. The divine is there as well. And actually in this story, that's where God does some of God's finest work, taking something that appears lost, gone, wrecked, and hopeless, taking a disaster, and then bringing something beautiful and unexpected out of it, redeeming it. This was a completely upside-down way of understanding how the gods work or how the whole thing works. So you can see some of these first Jesus followers, like in the letter to the Corinthians, the second one, the writer says, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we have not been abandoned. We've been struck down, but we are not destroyed. So what happened is this Jesus H. Christ story began to shape the way people saw the full spectrum of the human experience they were undergoing. And in those moments when it appeared as though the story was over, it began to shape them. No, the story's never over. The story appeared to be over with the Christ, but it wasn't. So what we know now is that we read our own stories very differently. Because obviously, at the time of this story emerging and, and sort of exploding into the world, if you lose, well, obviously the gods have abandoned you, not something new is at work in the midst of your losing. If you've been crushed, then clearly you, are, you do not have the favor of the gods. Instead of, oh, it's in the low moments when you keep your eyes open and your heart expanded because you, ne you never know what new thing may be coming into the world right in the midst of this. Or in the first letter to the Corinthians, uh, first letter for us in the New Testament, the, the same writer writes, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Because the first century world was a world of hierarchy. Everybody had their place in the sort of ranking of who was above and who was better and who was worth more and who was down below. Everything was ranked everywhere. And this story 
turned all of that upside down. As the writer goes on, not many of you were influential, not many of you were wise, not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one could boast before God. Yeah, this story, deeply counterintuitive flow to it, kept insisting the grace and love that animates this story doesn't work like the systems of ranking and hierarchy that you're surrounded by. And that when you're at your lowest, your weakest, your most broken, this is when the power and grace and strength flows to you all the more. It's good to be human. One writer just said, when I am weak, then I am strong. See, normally it was like, no, when you're strong, the gods are with you. And when you're weak, you're on your loan and you alone and you're in trouble. And this story, this Jesus H. Christ story, gave people a whole new lens through which to see things. Ah, oh, when I'm at my weakest, this is when this divine strength and power flows the most. This is punk post-conventional wisdom about the whole how the whole thing works. But you know this. You and I know this deep in our bones. We know how it works. You know all those moments when the love and hope and strength appeared in the strangest of places, in the strangest of times. You know those moments when you were at, we, you, it felt like you were at the end, and then some person showed up and they had exactly what you needed, and you're like, wait, how, what? How does this work? Who arranged this? Yes, Jesus H. Christ invites you to see it all differently. There is a dignity and an honor to being a human being. There's even a phrase uh, in the letter to the Ephesians, the writer talks about a new humanity. So what this Jesus Christ story did early on in a world that beat people into submission and ranked people and robbed them of the dignity and honor of being a human being is it restored that sense of holiness and sanctity that comes from embracing your full humanity. In the letter to some people in a city called Philippi, the writer says, what is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This story was never about beating you up with all the ways that you fall short. It was about the clear, straightforward assertion that we've all made a mess of things, both in systems and both as individuals, that we all fall short at some profound spiritual level. Nobody's fuzzy on that, correct? <laughs> Have you ever met anybody who talks about their life and they're like, yeah, I pretty much nailed the whole thing. Come on, come on. Even a remote bit of honesty, and we all are acutely aware of how we've contributed to the ways in which the world isn't what it is supposed to be, that we know deep in our hearts. And yet this Jesus H. Christ story keeps insisting that deeper than even that, there is a goodness to what it means to be a human being. What we've seen in these Jesus stories again and again is he comes to the blind and the lepers and those oppressed by destructive spirits, and he speaks to them, he honors them, he heals them, 
He meets them. He meets us in the full spectrum of the human experience. He meets us in all of it because it's good to be human. And he never stops doing two different things, sometimes at the same time, sometimes back and forth. One of the things Jesus H. Christ does again and again and again as he speaks to us of our own smallness, our frailty, our vulnerability, the ways that we have made a mess of things, all of our stumblings and failings, he speaks directly to us in an honest, straightforward manner about this. He tells a story about two men who go up to the temple to pray, and the one man prays, thank you, God, that I'm not like this other guy. And the second guy just prays, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, that's the one who went home justified. Have mercy on me, a sinner. So Jesus, in those moments when our egos become bloated, when we become full of ourselves, when we lose the plot, when we're so hyper aware of the, all the ways everybody else has screwed up and blind to all of the ways that we have contributed to this, Jesus Christ speaks to us in those moments. Unflinching truth about who we truly are, what we have done, what we are responsible for, what we are guilty of, speaks it straight down the middle. But then, other times, when we've been beaten down, when we are overwhelmed with our frailty and vulnerability, he speaks an incredibly high view to us of what we're capable of. Yeah, his, his uh, disciples return in the Gospel of Luke from doing some extraordinary things, and his joy about sending them out and having them actually do the thing. He speaks to us. He says, you'll do greater things than these. Yes. Sometimes you need a reminder that there is greatness in you. Sometimes you need somebody to say, I see you. I see you in there. And you possess greatness, and you're here to do something great. Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we've been pushed around. Sometimes it feels like our soul has been diminished by the bumps and bruises of life. And in those moments, the Christ comes to you and speaks to you of your greatness. And then other times, we're so full of ourselves, that bloated ego. We're just marching around, knocking over furniture like we're awesome. And a humbling word of smallness is spoken to us, ruthless honesty about who we truly are and what we've done. Yeah, sometimes you need one, and sometimes you need the other. So, my brothers and sisters, I don't know what the H stands for for you, (laughs) but the H for me is at the center of the Jesus story, he comes to affirm that it's good to be human. It's good to be here, now, in this body, with this life. It's good to have this story, that regardless of where you've been, what's happened to you, that something good can come out of all of it, all of it, 
can be redeemed, especially the parts that you don't know what to do with. And, and what I noticed over the years, because I, I started doing Jesus sermons, well, like 25, 26, 27 years ago, is I noticed how many people, when I would talk about the Jesus stories, would want to interact based on other understandings of the Jesus story. And what I was struck with so many times is how often people would be, they'd, they'd have like, I would call like religious questions or Bible questions, but their questions were actually human questions. That when they were taught that the whole point is to go somewhere else, when they were taught that they are essentially depraved to the core of their being, what it did is it called into question for them, well, then what's the whole point of the thing? But the Jesus story begins with a resounding affirmation of the goodness of creation, a goodness of the world, that deeper than all that has gone wrong is the goodness that has been imbued in the whole thing, and that includes your humanity. What we've seen in these Jesus H. Christ stories again and again is that he comes to the blind and lepers and the hungry and people oppressed by destructive spirits, and he speaks to them, he honors them, he respects them, he heals them, he meets them in their full humanity like he meets us in our full humanity. He meets us in the full spectrum of the human experience. Doubt, rage, anger, joy, euphoria, peace, loud, quiet, near, far. He meets us in all of it. So you don't have to repress it. You don't have to deny it. You don't have to cover it up. We don't have to pretend like it's not there. We can own every square inch of our stories. We can claim everywhere we've been and everything we've done because it's good to be human and there is a goodness that undergirds all of the things that we've done that we would most appreciate no one ever mentioning again. And when we're part of systems that have worked very hard to suppress the truth and not acknowledge what's the thing that's already in the room, we can just say it because it's good to be human and there's a goodness that undergirds all of the ways we've made a funky mess of things. Are you with me on this? And in all of this, there are two things he never stops doing. He speaks to us the ruthless, honest truth about the ways in which we've contributed to the pain and brokenness of the world. All those times when we become inflated with our own sense of self-righteousness, when we have long lists of what other people have done wrong, those times when our ego becomes bloated and we become full of ourselves, it's like he speaks that piercing word of truth, that humbling word about our own sins, about our own shortcomings, about the truth that we all fall short. Yeah. Sometimes you need that. Sometimes, sometimes you need that. And then those other times when we've been beaten down, when we've been knocked around, when we've been bumped and bruised, 
He speaks to us about our greatness because sometimes you need to be spoken of about the one and sometimes you need to be spoken about the other. He says to disciples, you'll do greater things than these. He keeps insisting that normal, everyday, average people like you and I are capable of transcendent acts of kindness, compassion, and generosity. Because <sighs> sometimes you need to hear that. Sometimes you need a word about your smallness, and sometimes you need a word about your bigness. Sometimes you, you need the ruthless truth spoken to you about the things that you're responsible for that you need to make right. And other times you need a word of imagination about just what might be possible. He has a completely honest view of us and also an incredibly high view of what we're capable of at the exact same time. It's an unflinching affirmation of the greatness of you, the human being, and the ruthless diagnosis of the ways in which we personally have made a mess of things. And sometimes you need the one, and sometimes you need the other. He tells this story about two men who go up to the temple to pray, and the one man essentially prays, thank you, God, that I'm not like that loser. And the other guy simply beats his chest and says, uh, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Because sometimes that's the prayer. Sometimes the prayer is, have mercy on me because I have made a mess of this. And other times, what, you're, what, what the word that comes to you is a word about your own greatness. There's something you could do here. Go for it. You got this. Yeah, sometimes you need the one, sometimes you need the other. And what the Christ does is he meets you wherever you're at and speaks to you what you need to hear. I was uh, telling uh, Kristen that I was wrapping up this run of episodes with part 11. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm going to tell them what the H stands for. <laughs> and I said, I'm, gonna, I'm talking about how the H stands for human because it's good to be human. And Kristen said, oh, so basically the thing that you're always saying in everything you do. <laughs> She's like, yeah, yeah, because that's the thing that you think more than anything else is that it's good to be human. Yeah, okay, good, fine. Fine, you're going to wrap that up with the thing that you're never stop saying. <laughs> uh, by the way, all this goodness, you know what it also does is when it's bad, when it's evil, when it's unjust, when it's unfair, when it's cruel, when it's horrific, when it's suffering and it's pure undiluted form, if you begin with it's good to be human, then this frees you to call things what they are. This frees you to call things. You don't have to pretend like things, you don't have to give things some sort of sanctified whitewash. The number of people I've met who, who were conditioned that, hey, God's gonna make it okay. God's gonna make it all right. So th there's sort of a repressed desire to say what things really are, but am I allowed to say that? Yes, you are. So if you're filled with rage, you just say it. If it's completely unfair, if it's horrific, some suffering, whatever you do, don't drag God into it. It is a hell on earth, and just let it be that. You don't need to say what it means. You don't need to attribute divine significance to it. Please don't use the word plan. Don't tell me this is part of... No, it's 
awful. It's unspeakable, horrific evil. And that's just what it is right now. Maybe down the road, a while from now, we'll see other things. Right now, we don't. So let's just let things be sometimes what they are. This is the power of saying that it's good to be human, is it frees you then. When something is truly bad, you call it what it is. You also give it a little space because you have no idea where it may lead. A couple more points. The searching is good. The hunger is good. The desire is good. That restless ache you feel, like your life is supposed to be something more. Yeah, good, good, good. You're thirsty, good. Because something within you tells you uh, that there are changes to be made, that there are course alterations to be enacted. Yeah, it's good. The figuring it out is good. Trying to figure out where to spend your money, where to live, what work to do. The two of you, your partner, you're trying to figure out, do we, do we go that direction or that direction? We're very different. Do we listen to this or that? How do we even get along with each other? Yeah, the figuring it out is good. You have kids, it's good. It's good. Your kids are driving you mental, good. You have this extraordinary gift of, of little peoples, and you get to create an anxious-free, worry-free space where they can thrive, a space dominated by peace and joy and exploration and honesty. Oh, how thrilling is that? The figuring it out is good. All of those little decisions where you don't know, do I spend the money on this or spend the money on that? Do I give the energy to this or give the energy to that? Do I let that person in or do I create a wall and a boundary because I can't let them in like I used to? The figuring it out, it's good. It means you're alive. It means it matters. It means you're searching for the joy and the hope and the love and the peace and the fulfillment and the satisfaction. Yeah, that's good. It's good. The tension is good. The tension between who you've been and who you sense you're being invited to be. All those little tensions, or you find yourself trying to get rid of them, when in fact they're signs of life. It means you're being honest about whatever's in play. It's good. It's good. It's good to be you. Born where you were born, to the family that you were born to, with your name, with your body, with your history, it's good to be you. It's good that we're here. By the way, try this. I swear to you, this week, try this with somebody. In some moment, just pause and say to the person, it's good that we're here. Not freaky, you know what I mean? But like tuned in. Just say, it's good that we're here. And if they're like, what do you, are you, you know, are you, you mean Chipotle <laughs> or Kansas or like here, like in the, and just say, mm hmm, mm hmm. <laughs> and say it again, it's good that we're here. You mean like at the park, like going for a run? Like, do you mean that or do you mean like existentially, like, you know, in the universe at this time to get just, just, and just keep saying, yep, yep. <laughs> yep. If you sit down 
at a meal with somebody, sit down, and then right before you start eating, just pause and say, it's good that we're here. Try this. Because when you tap into this word, this is a word of creation. This, is a, this has an ontological dimension to it. It's good. Or how about this one? It's good that we're doing this. It's good. Not just in a like, hey, this is, this is a fun thing to do this afternoon, but in a, it's good, like, we are participating in the ongoing creation of the world, and that's good. We were given this gift, we were given energy, we were given sight and vision, and this is what we are giving our energies to, and it's good that we're doing this. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, my friends, Jesus H. Christ comes in his full humanity to lead us into our full humanity. And what could be more divine than that? The divine moves into the neighborhood and nothing is the same again. The old stories were about the gods who win. They're successful. They crush the enemies. And then this story explodes on the scene that's totally upside down. It makes all the other things, the word it uses for the other stories is foolish. It insists that the divine has humbled God's self, has emptied God's self, has taken on flesh and blood, little fingers, little toes, enters into the story a giant resounding affirmation of creation and its blood and sweat and soil and sun and moon and stars, all of it. Yes. And so we enter into it. Whatever it is that you do, you do it with the fullness of your being because it's good to be you. It's good to be doing this. And it's good that we're here. The H. Yeah. The H. It's the word when Jesus could refer to himself he doesn't really seem to get much thrill from the Son of God, but the Son of Man, the human one, he loves it, loves that phrase. Yeah, that should tell us something. That should tell us something. My hope and prayer is that in talking about Jesus H. Christ, for I believe now this series were somewhere around 10 hours of Jesus H. Christ, if in some small way, you are a little more alive. You have a little more respect for the mystery. You have a bit more direction. Your eyes have adjusted. You're now seeing things you didn't see. If in some small way you see all the more the goodness of being a human being, well, that, that's, that would be a thrill for me. <laughs> the H stands for human because it's good to be human. And may the grace and peace of Jesus H. Christ be with you.